So our text came from 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter and the 34th verse through chapter 16 and the 13th verse. And uh, I'm not going to read the entire text because I'd already done that, but I do want to just pick up a few verses. Verse 6 begins this way. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So he asked Jesse, meaning Samuel, asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is out tending sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Here's what I want you to think about. In reading this text, there is one big question that I cannot seem to get out of my mind. And that is, why did Jesse leave out David? Why did he parade all of his seven sons before Samuel and, and, and forget all about David to the point that Samuel had to ask him, do you have any more sons? The easiest answer is that, well, David was way too young. He was a little boy, and he was not quite ready to be, he's not kingly material yet. So the father overlooked the son. I believe that's a good answer. I think that's, an, uh, that's a reasonable answer. But I think it misses a very important revelation in the plan of God. And that is, while you may not be ready to be king now, you're still ready to be anointed. While someone else may be in your position and in your place right now, your anointment is always going to precede your appointment. But the key thing to focus on is, why didn't Jesse, the father, know this about David? Surely he could have identified that there were some, there were some things that was different about this particular one. If you are a parent, a father, or a mother, you have, and you have multiple children, you, you, you can see when there are certain things that's different about one or two. Now, I'm not talking about favorites. <laughs> It has nothing to do with any one of your children being favored. It means that there are some things that you identify in some of your children that's just a little different and a little unusual. So, so why didn't Jesse realize this about David? I, I don't know. But whatever the reason, it took Jesse walking through all of his seven boys before he got to the one that the Lord had chosen. It's with this thought in mind that I want to speak today from the topic, our hidden value our hidden value. Jesse was David's father. Now you cannot really understand what it means to be father without understanding a little bit about what that term meant in ancient Israel. To call someone father means a lot more than what you think it may mean sitting here today in the sanctuary. You see, 
Every household in ancient Israel, they had a very sophisticated system for the distribution of power. Every household. And, and, and like many traditional societies, you, you know, the Bible describes Israel's political, when we say political, we mean power, in terms of kinship. I'm going slowly for a reason. This whole idea of kinship means something in Israel. Now, if you don't know what that word kinship means, it's tied to genealogies. So when you see the Bible, if you've read your Bible any bit, even if you just read the first chapter of Matthew, you would hear this, something like, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram, etc., etc., etc. Such and such was the father of such and such. Now, 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 it's describing, when you see those genealogies, it's actually describing something called kinship, with a K. It's, it's not only talking about blood ties, which is important, but it's also talking about economic ties, social ties, financial worth, and power, which that household can exercise in a community. You see, your greatness in Israel was not tied to you, it's tied to who you were tied to. So you can walk around and say, yeah, I'm all that and a bag of chips, but if no one knows who your father is, you are just as good as dead. You don't matter in the society. So the idea is when Israel says this person is the father of such and such, and the further back they can go with the line is really saying how much authority and power you have. It is no, reason, no question, no mistake why our present world seems to be a little bit caught up with genealogies. Everyone wants to find out where they're from. <laughs> you know, my daughter called me yesterday so excited. She says, Daddy, 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 Pop Pop, he went and did his genealogy. And guess what? I am 8% Spanish. <laughs> she told me this last night. I'm 8% Spanish. So I said, so what does that mean? What does that mean to you? She says, well, that means now I have every authority to learn Spanish. So I said, you couldn't learn Spanish if you weren't 8%? She says, not really. Now I've, I have authority. That's what my daughter said to me last night. And it was interesting because it didn't occur to me until just now that what she was talking about is exactly what I'm saying. When you realize where your connection is, it has an impact on the authority you wield. You see, when you walk into a room, if you feel like you belong there, you act differently than if you're not. How many of you have gone to somebody else's house? And when you walk into that person's house, they may or may not ask you to take off your shoes, whatever, but you walk into the house, and what do you do? You, 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 you're you very careful how you yes. bump the furniture. Yes. You're very careful not to put the glass on the table that you ain't got a business putting the glass, because they'll come and they say, here's a coaster for you. Yes. Right? What I'm saying is you go into someone else's house, and you mind your peas and your cues. But what do you do when you walk in your house? <laughs> because what you are doing is you're demonstrating that you have every right to be there. You have every right to be there. And it's, uh, it's a very uncomfortable feeling when you have to live in a house where you don't belong. Ask 45. 
ask the president. You spend your whole time trying to legitimize the why you're there when you don't belong. But when you know who your father is, when you know from whence cometh your authority, you don't walk around with your head hanging down. You walk like, listen, I got elected twice. So what if my name is Hussein Obama? I got elected twice. I belong in this house. Now, this is not a political statement. I'm making a point that such and such begat such and such, such and such begat such and such. In other words, when you know who your father is and you know why you are where you are, you walk differently. So the Bible has this way of talking to us about kinship and authority and people who belong. We live in a society right now where a lot of people are not sure where they belong. And even still, even when you know where you belong, there's a lot of brokenness for people who don't hear, I want you. Amen. So the important thing to understand is that there is blood relationships, but it's not taken for granted in Israel. But whether you're from a household or a clan or a village, or a tribe, you may be physically related by blood, but the real requirement is not kinship in the Bible, it's covenant. Amen. When the Bible talks about relationships, it's more interested in covenant than it is in blood relationships. You see, you see what you got to understand is what makes someone part of my family in ancient Israel is when we have not just shared blood, but we also have shared experiences. Yeah. When you've gone through some things with some people, you find a way, you, you find that your relationship with them is just a little deeper than if they share your same DNA. Amen. <laughs> One writer puts it this way, to be a Hebrew was to have passed from slavery to freedom. Some through the Red Sea some through the waters of the River Jordan, and some through the waters of the Wadi Kaisan, which is a river. But I like the hymn writer's version when he said, some through the waters, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. This is why Paul tells us, listen, we need to partake in the fellowship of Christ's suffering. Unless you are suffering with someone, you will never understand the covenantal relationship with that person. Everything else we do is from afar. So when I listen on television, they say things like, you know, you see the tragedy of the Parkland killing, or, or you see any of these tragedies, and, you know, every politician would jump on TV, Dr. Ellington, and say, and say my thoughts and prayers are with you. That's sympathy. That's another way of saying, better you than me. But when you sit with people in their place of pain and sit with people in their suffering, when you're willing to ride with people even though it's uncomfortable for you and to sit that place, you have entered into a covenantal relationship with them, which is far more critical biblically than whether or not you share the same blood. So when I say to you, check this out. The point is, the interaction between kinship and covenant 
creates a whole different set of meanings for the term father, mother, son, daughter, brother, sister, uncle, or even nephew in the way that we use it in everyday speech. In the Bible, their connotations and their meanings are more legal than biological. So these terms in a covenant context identify a variety of people who are related to each other blood or not. Now, now to say someone is father is saying that I'm in a covenant with this person who not just gave seed or sired me, but someone who feeds and protects me. Hmm. You see, the father exercised what's called covenant power, and he has, he has authority of life and death over anyone who comes in his household. This is the biblical way. So, so here, here's, where, here's where I'm going with this. When Israel calls someone father and that person is caring for the needs of the household, whether they are blood or not, it was to the Israelites an impression or an image of creator God doing his work. Amen. So when someone says, you are my father, they're saying, I see you like God. You are actually a very good representation of God for me. That's a big deal. So people were not trying to, people wanted the title of father, but they knew that if, they're, if they didn't earn it, they would quickly lose it. That's important. So when Jesus says, when the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he says, when you pray, pray like this, our father. He wasn't just saying, listen, he wasn't saying that the same blood runs through God's vein, is running through yours. He's saying, I recognize that you feed and protect me. And you do it better than anybody else. So Jesus, in the Bible says, be careful that you call no one father. Why? Because not everyone is worthy of the title. So when I say, my father... To someone, I'm saying you represent yes. God to me. I don't know what you're hearing, but to me, that's an awesome responsibility and sometimes terrifying and intimidating, and why many people run away. It's a huge responsibility to say, Father, because you now have, are accountable. And this is not a beat of father's message. I'm saying I want you to understand the way the Bible speaks of it. Yes. Because when the father comes into, into town or he comes in, the people felt safe. Mm. What would it be for every father to walk around with the distinction of knowing that every person in his household, blood or not, is safe, provided for? cared for, protected. So that's why this term is so heavy laden. One more thing I'll say about this. When a child is born in Israel, it is the father who decides whether or not to adopt the child in the household. You see, in the world of the Bible, your life did not begin at your biological birth, your life began at adoption. 
Wow. Regardless of the status of the newborn, the father will say yes or no. If the father rejects the son or the daughter, the midwives would take that child out into the village, leave the child in the town square for anyone who would want to adopt that child. Think about that. And if no one wanted that child, what do you think would happen? The child would inevitably die. So when we read the text, let's go to the text. Look, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have what? Rejected him. In other words, he's not in my household. And it had nothing to do with whether or not he was a good-looking man or whether or not he was a smart man or whether or not he had a thousand degrees. If you are rejected by the Father, you are out of covenant. My gosh. So, so, so when I say to you, Jesse was David's father. What I was saying to you was that it's more than biological. I'm saying David belonged under the covenantal protection of his father. David was spoken for. David had authority. David belonged. So why did Jesse parade all of his sons before Samuel and leave out David if David is covenant? Are you tracking with me still? Right. I want to want you to walk with me because you need to understand something. We do a lot of jumping and shouting and cheering in churches, but we don't really understand the relationship that we have with God, our father, and what it means for you and your life. We walk around thinking that we are nothing. We don't matter. Let me tell you something. If you understand who your father is, if you understand that he has not rejected you, believe me, you go into the house like you belong there. Now, David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse. I'm going to 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter, because this text doesn't tell us everything. So let's look at some other places, and then we'll wrap up. 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter, verse 12 through 15. Now, David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, Jesse, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul into the war. See, we're getting a lot more information now. The firstborn was Eliab, the second, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend to his father's sheep in Bethlehem. So here's what we know. Jesse, the father, is now very old. We got that, right? Jesse's three older boys were very loyal to King Saul. Are you tracking? Are you, go- are you walking with me, right? Because we're going somewhere. David came and went as he pleased. So if you want to think about David, he's bouncing around. He's back and forth. He's over here with Saul. He's over here with the family. He's moving all around. He's doing all kinds of things. David is just rambunctious. But let's pick up in verse 17 and see if there's more we can learn. Because I love to walk through the Bible. Now Jesse said to his son David, "Uh uh-oh, we are now finding that Jesse's now going to have dialogue 
with David. Jesse says to David, take this ephah or this pound of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread, uh-oh, for your brothers and hurry to the camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are doing and bring back to me some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. This is where they're fighting Goliath. So David now we know is an errand boy for his father, but he's also a snitch. You see that, right? Go see what your brothers are doing. Take this food to them, but then come back and tell me what's going on. Tell me what they're doing. So little David, who bounces all over the place, rambunctious little David, is now also a little snitch. All right. We're starting to see David real good. But let's continue. So early in the morning, David left the flock. Now listen carefully to the text. David left the flock in the care of a shepherd. Hmm. He loaded up and set out as Jesse, his father, had what? Directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. They're going out. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. The battle is imminent. David now left his things, the stuff that he was bringing to his brothers, and he left his things with the keeper of supplies. He ran to the battle lines, and you, you can see David. You've got the armies, and he runs to the battle lines. Because he's rambunctious like that. He runs to the battle lines and, 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 and he says, hey, he starts to talk to them. He goes, oh, he says, oh, what's, what's going on? As he was talking with them, this giant named Goliath, the Philistine champion, stepped out and shouted his usual defiance. Is there not a warrior in Israel that will challenge me? The Bible now, I love this part. The Bible says, and David heard it. So David, rambunctious, is running all over the place, bringing supplies to his brothers, wanting to see what's going on, this little boy, and all of a sudden, he runs to the battle lines because David can go anywhere he wants. David is the son of Jesse. Now, I don't know about you, but if the United States Army is fighting some kind of war, my, my son and my daughter ain't going down to no battle lines to find out what's going on. Ain't happening. But we're talking about David. Amen. So the text tells us that David went down there and he heard. Whoa, who's that? And when he heard it, it says, whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled in fear. Now, the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will have a great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. <laughs> taxes? David asked the man standing near to him. So David says, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and, and removes this disgrace from Israel? David is this little boy. He's like, what, 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 what that guy's going to get? So right away we know a little something more about David. David has ambitions. David, David don't want to pay taxes. <laughs> right? You still with me? So what will be done if we remove this disgrace? David even goes a step further and he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God. Now David is now showing us something else about his character. I don't care how big you are. I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how powerful you think you are. I don't care whether you come with an IRS badge or whether you come with the badge of the police. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that would dare come and talk to the child of the king? Uh -huh. 
You see what I'm saying? There's a difference in your posture when you know who you are. You don't just take anything. Wait a second, I know my rights. We've seen countless videos of people of African descent being treated one way or another, and I watched a video that was very disturbing where the cop came up and he started talking, to, come over here, boy. I was like, boy. Now, I ain't trying to get anyone here to go out there and start trouble with the police. I'm simply saying that before you address me, ask my permission. I know who I am. Be very careful how you respond to children of the king. So, so David is now saying, who is this? Now we further see that David is more than an errand boy, but he's a fearless errand boy. Yes. Now, this is where the story gets a little intense. We're wrapping up. We, we, we got to get there. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger. And he asked, why have you come down here, errand boy? And with whom did you leave those few sheep. You see, the, you see the arrogance? Those little bitty bitty sheep that you get to watch. With whom, as if Eliab saw um, Jesse's oldest son, who may be in line to be general or whatever, king, is concerned about sheep. Sometimes when people are asking you about your business, they're not really asking you about your business. They're really exposing their contempt for you. Who, who, who did you leave those few sheep? The brother goes on to say, because I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. Wow. David, the Bible tells us, is a, God, is a man after God's own heart. Eliab, his older brother, says, I know how conceited you are and I know how wicked your heart is. Meanwhile, the Bible tells us that no, people look at the outward appearance and no one knows the heart. What gives Eliab the right to say that to David? But David's response is classic. <laughs> David says, now what have I done? Can't I even speak? He turned away to someone else. David just dismisses him. Turns away to someone else and brought up the same matter and the men answered him as before. From reading this text, we see that David's older brother held David in low self-esteem and he had contempt for him. David wasn't even speaking to him, yet he imposed himself on his little brother as if David's presence causes him to feel contempt towards him. You see, David, David was, was treated as an afterthought by the family. David, it doesn't matter. I don't even know if David and the brothers had the same mom. Who knows? All I know is that David was a gnat to his brothers. So David came and went as he pleased. David is an errand boy for his father as well as a snitch. David is conceited and arrogant. David is always being blamed for something. David should be seen and not heard. We have also learned this about David. David is very healthy, the Bible tells us. He's handsome. Probably has a nice build. He's young. David cares for sheep. But there is still more that we know about David. David can be trusted. David was true to his vocation and his call. David was reliable. David was faithful. David was brave. David was fearless. And David was confident. This is the picture of David. And at this point, Jesse is David's father. I love that. This is David. All of that. And David, David is the son of Jesse. 
You see, I'm making this point about Jesse was David's father because it's important to understand that David, despite having all of these qualities, could not have reached his full potential outside of the covenant of his father. You might have missed that. You could have all the good things and all the good qualities you want, but you ain't going to get nowhere outside of the covenant of your father. If your father has rejected you, you could be as pretty as peach. You ain't going nowhere. This is what I mean. The name Jesse is referred in the Old Testament, and in particular in Isaiah. It says, and there shall come forth, this is Isaiah's prophecy, a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Wow. And then in verse 11, verse 10, it says, in that day the root of Jesse shall stand as, an, as a sign to the peoples. David is not identified separate and apart from his father because what gave David his credibility for consideration was not his biological link through kinship, but his covenant link. Amen. David had hidden value, which is what I want to end on. David had hidden value. You see, many people couldn't see David the way God saw David. Many people rejected David because they saw his outward appearance. David could do what he pleased. He could come and go as he pleased. David was talented. He was good. And he certainly didn't need to hang around an old man like Jesse. But David honored his father. And in so doing, he was honoring God. But this is why this is so critical. Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. That's Jesus' words. Jesus says, I can of mine own self do nothing. The worship team sang it. That's what, listen, these are Jesus' words. I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of my father who sent me out into the field with bread. Are you catching it? Yeah. <laughs> and finally, Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Brothers and sisters, the point that I'm making is that your hidden value is tied in the covenant that you have with the Father. If you want to be the best you that you can be, learn your covenant with the Father. You must be connected to the vine. Everything you want to do, you can't do it by yourself. You need, you could be good, you could be great, you could be wonderful, but if you are a broken branch, it's only a matter of days before you wither and die. Watch how you remove yourself from the covenant because God is not asleep and he will reject those who have rejected him. Listen, you may think you are rejecting the church. You may think you are rejecting the preacher. You may think you are rejecting the family of God. Listen, listen, man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. He says to Samuel, they have not rejected you. They have rejected me. I hope you hear me. 
You are not rejecting the church. Yes. You are rejecting God. Yes. And he's not a man that he should lie. He hasn't changed his spot. Yeah, the church is messy. Yeah, we don't get it all together. But be careful, for you are given great talents. Yes. You are given great gifts. Yes. And God says, listen, I have called you out to be a people different from everyone else. And I have anointed you for such a time as this. So, so I don't know what you're hearing, but I feel it deep in my heart. I can't help but love God's people because I'm tied to the hip of his covenant. When Jesus Christ climbed upon that tree and he bled and died and out of his side came blood and water, he gave birth to the church and every covenant in the Bible, I don't care what it is, every covenant is ratified and sealed in blood. The hymen breaks for a reason. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. But since God looks at the heart, he knew that David had potential. God saw David's hidden value, which was faithfulness to the duty assigned to him. David was entrusted with the task of caring for sheep. And he fulfilled that, even if it meant his life. So what about you and me? What does this mean for you and for me? What does it imply? As I said before, the term father really means covenantal relationship. And it means that someone has authority over your life. God has placed me as the pastor of this church as a steward of his covenant. I am careful, and my wife will tell you, I am careful how I speak to each and every one of you. For if I cause one of you to stumble, it would be better if a millstone were hung around my neck and I was dragged to the bottom of the sea. I take my calling so seriously that I say, Lord, tell me what I need to say, for they didn't come to hear me. Your covenant matters. Jesus, is, listen, you, your blood meant something. It matters. But we can't call out our hidden value. Only God can do that. Amen. Only God can call out Amen. your hidden value. You are a son or a daughter of the Most High God. You will never find your fulfillment separate and apart from doing what God has called you to do. You can try to run around circles around all kinds of stuff, and I'm just talking to the church because I'm talking also to myself. There are times I think that I can get away with just, you know what, let me just read this one passage and then um, I'll just create a word. And every time I do that, I fall flat on my face because God is a God of order. And when you step outside of God's order, it don't take you long to realize that you are outside of the umbrella of his covenant. I don't care how good you are. If, if, if John is walking with the umbrella and we're walking with him under the umbrella and it's raining, you may not like the fact that he's holding the umbrella. So you step out. He's still under the umbrella. Amen. You're getting wet. <laughs> and you're going to keep getting wet. Yes, right. 
till you come back under the umbrella. The umbrella of God's covenant protects you from even you. The covenant of God says, I can let the devil come, but he can only go so far and no more. You look at the ocean, the ocean comes in all its vastness and greatness. It comes to the shore, but it goes only so far and no more because God says so. So listen, be careful what you play with. Church, be careful how you think of yourself. For if you are under God's covenant, you are under the protection of the Father. And it is his responsibility to feed and clothe you. But you must be under the umbrella. You must be in his household. You must be under his protection and respect him as such. You want to know how much you respect God? Look at how you respect the authority figures in your life. Whether it's your boss or your father, biological or not, your pastor, whatever, even, even your president. I don't like him, but I respect his office. Right? I ain't going, if he asks me to come to the White House, I'm going to ask why. And I may not want to go, but I kind of want to. I kind of want to see what it looks like. I want to touch the bust of Dr. King. I like to walk into the Kennedy room. I really like to see the West Wing. Because I can enjoy the work of the labors of our fathers and, yes. and ancestors who built that house yes. without caring too much for the occupant. Because yes, right. his time is limited. Yes. So I want you to understand that you belong in this house. Amen. You belong in God's house. Because you have a hidden value that God sees in every single one of you. And guess what? You can't raise your children by yourself. Amen. You need us to help you with it. Yes. And we need you to help us with ours. Yes. That's the covenant. And we are tied through the blood of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Yes, does. does that make sense? So the Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans 8, the 14th chapter and the 17th verse. And I'll read it solemnly. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, thank you, Jesus, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit, that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Did you hear what I just read? This is Romans, the eighth chapter, the 14th 
through the 17th verse. So no matter who you are, where you are, what has been done to you, what you have done to others, Christ is your hidden value. If you remain connected to him, you will have already been anointed to meet your appointment in the kingdom of God. Thank you, Jesus, for helping me get that all out. Hallelujah. I want you to get this. I want you to understand it. Because our people perish from a lack of understanding. Listen, I could have came with a sermon that we could have been jumping and swinging off the chandeliers. But I want you to have understanding that there is more to you than you know. You are so important to God that God will not afford to let you mess you up. Sure you're mad. Get mad. I say it. Come in all to kneel down. Lord, I'm mad at you. I'm mad at you. God can handle it. And he gonna say, you're done? And he go, yeah, I'm done. Okay. Well, go do what I ask you to do. 